Praise God. Open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. We're going to look at the Laodicean church today, and then a, another passage about what Jesus was telling, really talking about attitudes in this, this day and age. I was trying to think of a, of a title for this, and maybe when we get finished you'll see why I was struggling. I started to name it um, Without a Paddle. I even thought of fool's gold for one. I finally came up with the Goonies. And so uh, <laughs> now you're wondering. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 3. Say, I don't want to be a Goonie. <laughs> for sure. You know, I believe we are closer today than ever to the coming of the Lord, and you, you've heard that said a lot, but, you know, of course, each day brings us even closer. It's just amazing as we watch the news and things unfold around the world that uh, it just reads like prophecy, and, and, and we're seeing prophecy being fulfilled every day. It's just amazing. And, uh, you know, the, I guess the concern in my heart, and I feel the concern on the the heart of the Lord is, is that we will grow just complacent in that. Sometimes we hear those things and we hear them and, and we kind of get stirred and then it doesn't happen and then we just kind of float down a little bit. And so we need to be cautious about that. We need to constantly stir up our spirit and be prepared and be alert, as Jesus said, and be watching and waiting and longing his appearing. Let's read this letter to the, the uh, Laodicean church in chapter 3. Everybody say Laodicea. I don't know what the zip code is for that, but boy, isn't that, I'm glad I don't live there. That'd be trying to tell somebody where you live. But in chapter 3 of Revelation, verse 14, it says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. So he establishes his credentials, the Lord Jesus Christ, the faithful and true, the Amen. He's the one that uh, he says it, and it's, it's settled. He says in verse 15, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. That you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see those whom I love I rebuke and discipline so be earnest and repent here I am I stand at the door and knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in and eat with him and he with me to him who overcomes I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The day and age that we're living in is really a Laodicean worldview or mindset, if you will, an attitude of this, this church. I see it creeping in and uh, have seen kind of the, the effects of it for a while. The, the very word and the name Laodicea means rights of the people, people rights. Uh, it's a democracy, and hey, it's a great way to run a country is a democratic republic, a democracy, and that's where people rule. 
in a democracy, what makes it so great for our country is that there's no king. Uh, are you seeing the problem that it would be to have that type of structure and mindset in the kingdom of God? I mean, how can you even say it's a kingdom if there's no king? And what we see is that these people didn't recognize the king, the king of kings. And so that's where they get their name is people's rights, the rights of the people. And, um, you know, today what is happening is this spirit of religious democracy is getting a foothold in Christendom. Uh, insubordination, lawlessness, unteachableness, tolerance to every kind of spirit. In the book of Judges in chapter 1, or chapter 21, verse 25, it says, In those days there was no king. There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Hmm. In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Today, I believe that in the church it just kind of has drifted in, and um, there's no acknowledgement really of the king. Although we, you know, in the church, churches around the world, I'm talking about church universal, to worship and to say, you know, whatever. But yet, when it comes down to it, really people come back to what they want, what, they, what they're going to do, what they desire. Um, and, you know, even messages are toned down or dumbed down to where it's not, uh, you know, lack of conviction and, and you know, um, don't want to step on anybody's toes. In the book, in this letter to the Laodicean church, the Lord Jesus Christ, the king, said, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. And let's look at some of these characteristics of this Laodicean church today. And let's do an inventory and let's do a search and let's look at our own lives and make sure that we're not even allowing any of these particular types of attitudes to even just creep into us or to influence us at all. And so let's examine these characteristics, this end-time attitude. The first thing that I see is neutrality toward God. They're neither hot nor cold. They're just kind of neutral. It's like that you say that uh, little animal was a mugwump. And so what's a mugwump? It, it's, it sits on the fence. It has a mug on one side and a wump on the other side. It's just a mugwump. You know, that's kind of the way a lot of people are. Can't decide what side to be on. Um, you know, again, this is not, this is not a democracy it's not democratic or republic or whatever but uh and some people just want they just want to be neutral and in the church you can't be hot or cold afraid to be one or the other but you know you can't be that way you got to choose in fact in first kings chapter 18 verse 21 if you want to turn there first kings chapter 18 verse 21 it says elijah went before the people and said how long will you waver between two opinions if the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. It's not the first time through history that people have sat and been neutral, couldn't make a decision. There again in uh, Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, Joshua talking to him, he says, but if, if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your, fa your forefathers served beyond the river are the gods of the Ammonites in whose, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You got to make a decision. You got to choose one way or the other. You know, people today want a non-offensive, non-convicting 
all-inclusive doctrine saturated with tolerance. And when you water that all down, what do you get? You get might as well just go to a motivational seminar and, and everybody feel good. And that, hey, that's great if that's, you know, if you're going to go to a motivational seminar. But people, this is church. And we need to hear the word of the Lord. If something's out of line, we need for him to align us better now than to stand before his throne and be judged for it. He said, if you judge yourself, judge yourself lest you be judged. He gives us the opportunity to examine ourselves and to line things up. He has given us his spirit who convicts us and brings in, into our heart awareness that we're going the wrong way. Well, people don't like that. You ought to like that. When a preacher preaches and, and you feel convicted, you ought to go up and hug his neck afterwards and say, thank you for saving my life. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine standing in, in front of the Father and ha being judged for that? Boy, when I, when I was a teenager, if somebody would have came to me and told me some things that I was doing that I shouldn't do because I was getting ready to get busted when I got home by my dad, they'd have saved my life, man. <laughs> I mean, or, or other parts of my anatomy, they would have saved me. <laughs> Well, it helped me out. You know what I'm talking about? But people today just, uh, they don't want that. And we, intolerance seems to rule. And we have to be so tolerant of everything. And, and my goodness, you know, just the, this thing about which bathroom to use is ridiculous. You know, and, and it's, we got the tail swinging the dog, wagging the dog. So we have a... a neutrality uh, characteristic that's in this Laodicean attitude. We also see self-sufficiency that pops its head up. In verse 17, he says, you say I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Don't need you, God. I got it made. I'm rich. I've, uh, hey, I've, I've acquired wealth and I don't need anything. Don't need anything from you, God. People don't need the church today. You can witness to people today, oh, I'm okay. I got it. I, I got it. You just do you. I got it. I got this. I got this thing. Or when they have challenges or whatever, they don't think about going to God and asking him for it. You know, just work it out. And seek after money and seek after treasures in this world. And that'll solve everything. And so that's what they said. I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. You know, in the study of thermodynamics, there's a thing called closed system. How many people study thermodynamics? You know what I'm talking about? There's a, a thing, a study of closed system where eventually a closed system moderates, it says, so that no more energy is being produced. Unless something is added from the outside, the system decays and dies. Without added fuel, the hot water in the boiler becomes cool. Without electricity, the refrigerant in the freezer becomes warm. So you got both of them becoming lukewarm. You know, I'll tell you, the church cannot be a closed system. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. We push him out of the way. We don't want the power of God. We don't want the Spirit of God to move. You know, can't allow the Holy Spirit to move because, oh, that's, uh, you know, we might offend somebody. Well, what about offending him? The Bible says, grieve not the, the, the Holy Spirit. And, you know, how, how does he feel? Do we ever consider how he feels? Oh, well, I don't even want to talk about him. My goodness. You see, th this is where we're coming. This is where the church is today. Hopefully, you don't feel that here. <laughs> but um, 
So it's a self-sufficient church. And also a non-cognizant or spiritually non-cognizant church. How do I want to say that? Not aware, not cognizant of spiritual things. In verse, or the second part of verse 17, it says, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. They say, I'm rich. I have acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. He says, and you don't even realize that, that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind. You're naked. What? What you talking about? Who are you talking to? Because they thought they were rich, but they weren't rich. They thought they had acquired all this, but they had nothing. You know, how did they get that way? How do, how do you come to that particular misunderstanding, thinking you have everything, and yet in the eyes of the Lord you have nothing? They thought they were rich, acquired wealth, and had, didn't, didn't need a thing. And he says, you know, you don't even realize that you are you're pitiful. <laughs> you know, you are poor. You are pitiful. You're blind. You're naked. Turn to uh, Matthew chapter 6. Let's see how they got that way. Because people, what we don't realize is these things happen subtly. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. Of course, this whole passage through here is the Sermon on the Mount. You get over to about verse 19 and you get to the Sermon of the Amount. And he starts to talk about some things. And sometimes we want to shut these things out. But what we need to see here is that there's a particular mindset that if we're not careful, it can push us toward this thing of Laodiceaism and this uh, being unaware of our spiritual condition. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus told them, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break through and steal. Now, wait a minute. The Laodiceans, they said, Oh, we're rich. I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need a thing. Maybe not on this world. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. So evidently they laid it up here. On this side they didn't have anything. What they, but they thought they had something. That must have been an earthly treasure. In verse 20 Jesus says, But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So we see here that there are two areas to store things. There's two treasures to seek after. That's why I, this thing about the treasure hunting. You know, I didn't know whether to name it national treasure since we're looking at a national attitude and, or, you know, or what. And so that's why I finally just decided to call it the Goonies. They, they were looking for treasure too, but they were messed up in their thinking. Hey, you guys! <laughs> are, are you listening? How many of you would remember that old movie along? Wow. <laughs> Verse 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So I said there's two different treasures and there are two different places to lay them up. The Laodiceans had treasure, but he said, you don't have treasure. They said, oh, we got treasure. No, you don't. You don't have any treasure. We got everything. We don't need anything. He says, you don't have anything. You need everything. So where do you think their heart was or is? It's where their treasure is. Their treasure is over here. If their heart's there, that means that their heart is set on nothing, in a sense. If 
you jump down to the last verse there, verse 33, really that sums up the whole thing where Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You know, they were pursuing the wrong treasure. What happens is when we get our eyes off of the king, and when we, really, when we don't really think we have a king, it's just, you know, it, it's all about us. When it's all about us and people's rights, and when we govern the message, and we want the message to, to stimulate us and, and make me feel good, and the feel-good message don't, don't convict me, and not a convicting-type message, but all about me, then my treasure's going to be all about me, Right? The sad thing is that we've got a lot of preachers and a lot of churches that want, the, want those treasures too, and they build them up here. Why? So that there can be another kingdom. Be a kingdom here, and this particular preacher's got his kingdom, and this church has their kingdom, and it's all here. And Jesus is looking to say, you don't have, you're pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Excuse me, but I'm, that's what I'm seeing across the face of the earth today. What is treasure? The way that that word is used there in the Greek some places it's used as a treasure chest, but really what it's talking here is about the things that go in it. Valuable objects. The things that are uh, co collected, very important, valuable things that you collect. What are you collecting? What's valuable to you? It, it goes on to say that a treasure is any person or thing that is considered very value, valuable, valued greatly, cherished. The Laodiceans were a society of things. There was a <clears throat> VeggieTales little movie thing, one of their VeggieTale things. This has been way back. It was called, I can't remember the name of it, but they had a stuff mart in it. It was all about stuff. And they went to the stuff mart to get more stuff to put in their house where they had too much stuff. And it's just all about stuff. Boy, does that let us in on a little clue. I bet that the Laodiceans back in that day, way back then, I bet they had storage sites. You know, you drive by the, the places and you rent a storage locker because we've already got our garage. We have to park the cars in the driveway because our garages are full. And here we go, you know. I mean, we just got stuff. You know, it's, where does it come from? I used to move, and every time we'd move, I'd give stuff away. And the problem was when I got there, I got stuff back. I thought, wait a minute, i got to stop sowing junk. If I'd sow good stuff, I'd get good stuff. I'd just give all my junk away so I have to move it. When I get to someplace else, it's like, where does all this junk come from? Well, it's all that seeded junk that you sowed. <laughs> so the whole purpose of the text there in Matthew uh, 6 is really what Jesus is saying is, where's your heart? Where is your heart? You've got to find your heart. You've got to locate your heart. We've got a heart problem today. You know, where's your heart? Because that's what he wants. That's what he's looking for. When he's speaking to the layout of sins, he said, I know your deeds. He says, you're, not, you're neither hot nor cold. You know, your heart, you know, and, and your heart's all over on these other things. You think that you've got stuff, but you don't have anything. And according to Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, your heart is wherever your treasure is. And he's not talking about your physical heart. You know, and he's not talking about, um, you know, the person that stole your heart. But he's talking about, you know, where is the consecration or the concentration and the preoccupation of your life? 
What are you preoccupied? What, what's taking all of your concentration? And what's consuming you? What particular object do you spend most of your time thinking about, planning uh, for, or spend all your energy on? What is that one thing? You need to examine it because that's where your heart is. If that's your treasure, if it's a collection of things, then your heart is on that collection, or on that hobby, or on that habit, on that hang-up, on that person. We need to be careful. We need to look at this because one day we're going to have to give an account for this. When we stand before him, we're going to be judged according to the word and, and, and uh, according to these various attitudes. And people, this is what's tough about this is this is the, the, the attitude of the day and age that we're living in. You know, if you look back in, in church history and there are certain times of when there was great revival and, and various things, and you can see that through the, the seven churches in the book of Revelation can be also those seven attitudes that go down through church history as well. And, boy, it's been great in some of those, those other attitudes. We've we got to suffer through this Laodicean attitude, and it's hard to get things done. You know, in shop talk, in, in church shop talk, there's preachers leaving the ministry, and there's churches that are, you know, the, the congregation, the attendance is way down. They say from 8 to 12% of the congregation actually give on a regular basis as far as tithing or whatever you want to call it, you know, that, that it, that's down. Because people are more concerned about themselves. That's where their, their heart is, where their treasure is. You know, are you one of those people that spend most of your time thinking about things? Maybe it's a house, a car, a wardrobe, bank account, savings account, stocks, bonds, investment, furniture, the shopping channel, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> you know, like the Laodiceans, we're, we're also uh, a society of things. We really are. This whole issue of heavenly treasure versus earthly treasure, treasure really comes down to the heart. And you know, we, there's not going to be an excuse because we make those decisions. Because it's going to come to, basically, it's, it, the, the whole thing, it comes down to which do you love the most? Do you love earthly treasures or do you love heavenly treasures? Verse 17 again, he says uh, there in Revelation 3, you say... I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. In verse 18, Jesus starts out and he says, I counsel you to buy from me. And he goes on, you know. Jesus has a way of reaching down to the epicenter of our souls and challenging our framework, if you will, and then just getting us to rethink our framework uh, so that he is the one that we're living for. That's what it's all about. He comes to us and he, he confronts us and challenges us right down to our very core so that at the very core, in our, very, in our heart, the center of our devotion, that he is the very center of our devotion. What is worship? Worship is extreme devotion. So what are you extremely devoting your time to? What are you extremely devoting your, 
your talent to? What are you extremely devoting your treasure to, your money to? That's what you worship. You used to have checkbooks, and you could pull your checkbook out, and you could see who you worship. Now you have to look back at your debit card receipts or whatever it is. <laughs> he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. Now, they said they were rich. He said, no, you're poor. He said, so I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can, you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Buy from me, he says. That phrase in the Greek is, it means go to the market. Not this little piggy went to the market, but you know, it means to go to the market to, to redeem, to exchange for payment of. So think about exchanging it. And he says, okay, so come to me and exchange, get, bring something to exchange and exchange that for gold so that you can have gold. And that's your treasure in heaven. The gold there would be treasure in heaven. He says, buy from me gold. Well, you got to have something to buy the gold with, right? There has to be some type of currency. So, you know, if you get money here, you get your paycheck, you get paid, you cash it. And so you take that money and you go buy food at, at, the, at the grocery store. You're exchanging those dollars for those groceries, right? You've exchanged it. And now then it's still a valuable thing because that's what that's worth. And so now you take that and you consume it. So that's some currency that's used to buy certain things here. But wait a minute, there's got to be some currency because he says buy from me. So what is the currency that I use to buy that gold? To get, to buy that white those white robes, to buy the eye salve. What is the currency that I need to use to buy that heavenly treasure? Well, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation just to kind of, it has a different little slant on it. He said, so, so be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. <laughs> I like that because Peter's really not that much of an exhorter. Just the New Living Translation changes that around that way. But he's really saying, so be truly glad. You've got to really, really be glad about this now because there, there's wonderful joy ahead, even though you're going to have to endure many trials for a little season. Verse 7, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and, and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor when? On the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So that tells me that Faith, genuine faith, faith that has been tested, faith that has been tried by fire in, 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 the, in the trial that comes, that faith, in a sense, is spiritual currency that I can exchange for this gold that Jesus is talking about, which gives me heavenly treasure. So when you exercise your faith and your faith stands strong and it's tried, then there's a little thing that takes place up in heaven. Ching, ching, ching. And then the exchanges that and says, okay, we're laying up one gold nugget right there. <laughs> Into your treasure chest goes, boom, and it drops in. Praise God. And you're just like, well, I don't see that happening. Because we don't. We're, we're usually oh, you know, trying to 
catch our breath after the trial, right? And Peter's saying, hey, and that's why I like the way that this translated here in this new, the New Living Translation. Come on, he says, so, so be truly glad. <laughs> Come on, boys and girls, be truly glad. <laughs> there is wonderful joy ahead. One day you're going to get up there and you're going to see all that gold that was transferred, that exchanged, that you, you exchanged your faith for. Now, when Jesus was talking there in Matthew chapter 6, he talks about money through there. He intertwines money through there because he goes on after he's talking about, you know, uh, where your treasure is there, your heart is also. And then he says, you know, uh, your eye has to be right. And it talks about that, about the eye. And he said, no man can serve uh, God and money and various things. And so money's kind of intertwined through there. Why? Because when I give, when I get money, either I'm going to buy an earthly treasure or I'm going to invest it in a heavenly treasure. You see, when I give to the kingdom of God, I have to do that by faith. And a lot of times it takes faith. Faith is tested because I'm maybe thinking about the things here on this earth and all of the things that i got to take care of. But he says, don't think about the things. Think about the kingdom. And so I have to have faith. And when I exercise that faith, that faith goes in and it it exchanges it for that heavenly treasure, that gold that's set up there for it. Are you, you getting the visual of it? Same way that when I take that dollar and I buy gasoline and it exchanges and puts gasoline in there, it transforms that. That dollar is good for something. My faith then is good for something in the heavenly realm as well. Never be frustrated at God where you've had to exercise your faith. Because it's accomplishing, it's producing something far greater than you could ever even see. Gold is a type, it represents divine life. It re represents, um, it, well, a spiritual life that's lived by faith. And so that's, that's what we think of. And so really that's what he's saying. When your faith is used, it's exchanged and it's laid up here in heaven as then as divine life that you've invested into. Genuine faith, tested by fiery trials, redeems the heavenly treasure of gold. Then there's something else. There's white raiment, white robes. You know, white speaks of righteous living. It reminds us of salvation. You know, white robes, that's the, that's the clothing of the overcom overcomers. Hey, that's the, what I want. I want to be wearing that. And he says, hey, you can exchange it. How do you get a white robe? Well, you exchange. You have to have something to exchange for it. And so he's saying that when you live right, when you live according to my principles, I've declared you to be righteous, and it's imputed to, righteousness is imputed to you through justification when I declare you to be righteous. Now when you walk righteous, then it's imparted to you, and then it's stored up, and there's treasure up there, and now there's white robes that you wear that shows that that's, that's what you get for that. Oh, moth can't, the moths can't eat those white robes. They might eat the, the silk and the stuff that they would store for valuable here on earth, you know, and all the clothing and the, the stuff that they would have here, but it can't touch those clothes. So right moral behavior, conforming to God's will, well, that fits in again when Jesus was talking about giving because that's part of what we're supposed to do. That's a discipline in our life. See, when we don't live every area of our spiritual life right, 
We leave holes. We leave the back door open for the thief to come in and he steals and he kills and he destroys. And we don't even realize it. It talks about in 1 Thessalonians it talks about those that you know their robes were spotted in, in Matthew 24 it talks about it and also there in Revelation in one of the churches the Sardis church that they had to wash their robes and there's this great innumerable company that's seen in Revelation chapter 7 and their robes were spotted well when they got them they weren't spotted so how did they get spotted the one that had it got it spotted by where they were going and what they were doing with that robe let me ask you as a Christian have you ever done some things that you really weren't supposed to do? Gone some places you weren't supposed to go? Probably could have got a little mud on your white robe or something when you were there in those places. Sure. Well, we know that we can come to him and confess our sins, and he's faithful and just to cleanse us from our sins, and he cleanses those robes. And then when we repent and we turn and those things are washed, and he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and those robes are cleansed, right? All that needs to be taken care of. That's why we need to be alert. That's why we need to be ready. Part of being ready is keeping those things ready, right? You don't want to try to hit the rapture with a dirty robe. You'd be hanging out here during the first part of the tribulation trying to scrub that thing down. That's right. You'd be saying, oh, no, where'd everybody go? Nobody's here to help me wash my robe. <laughs> in Revelation 3, verse 5, it says, He who overcomes will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. White clothes. Man, that's what, again, that's what the overcomers are wearing. And then he says, uh, he says, and purchase from me. He says, buy from me gold. And then he says, and white robes uh, to clothe your nakedness and uh, salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. That salve symbolizes the Holy Spirit who guides us into all truth. He sees it. It's, a, it's discernment. You know, we need to have a spirit-filled life where we're walking in the spirit and the Holy Spirit knows the will of God. Romans 8, 26, Paul said, when I don't know uh, my weaknesses, he says, uh, he helps us in our weakness, my infirmity, my weakness. And that's, I don't know what I ought to pray for. But the Holy Spirit knows the, mind, the will of God and God knows the mind of the Spirit. And when we're walking in the Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us and direct us, being led by the Spirit of God, He becomes our eyes for us and we begin to see things that we wouldn't have seen any other way. We discern things that, and we become spiritually alert. So walking in the Spirit can be a spiritual currency, if you will, that continues to bring about that salve, that eye salve that we can have so we can see. That's treasure in heaven. Some people, well, I don't know if it's worth it or not. I don't see any reward for what I'm doing. Ah, you just wait. You just wait. You keep living it right. You keep doing what the Word of God says. One day, one day, be laid up for us. Paul said, a crown of righteousness and not for me only, but for all those who are longing his appearance. Hey, you know, those crowns are for rewards. Some treasure laid up in heaven. The Holy Spirit, he guides us into all truth. He illuminates. He lubricates, if you will, and heals our whole being. 
The eye is, a, uh, the, eye is the conscious or inner light of the mind. It's, what, it's your conscious area. You know, it's like, well, I don't know. I just kind of have a feeling. Well, we need, that needs to be lined up. The Holy Spirit needs to be uh, directing that. Ephesians 5.18 says, Be filled with the Spirit. So don't be drunk with wine in which is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. How many of you used to, used to drink and used to get drunk some? You might be seeing some things. You get so drunk, you start seeing things. <laughs> like I say, you look like I need a drink. Although <laughs> well, Willie Nelson said I went home at, 10, at 2 with a 10 and woke up at 10 with a 2. <laughs> you know, you see things differently, you know. He says, don't be drunk with wine in which is excess. He said, but be filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit causes us to see things in the spiritual realm, spiritual light. Amen. That's why the Laodicean church, they didn't think they needed anything. Oh, we're rich, you know, we're, and we're, we've acquired wealth, and we don't need anything. He says, you don't, you don't even realize that you are poor, blind, pitiful. You're, you're wretched. <laughs> you, know, you, you don't even realize it. And that's why Jesus there in Matthew 6 talks about the eye. It can't be double-minded or serving two masters. You know, you be, we need to be led by the Spirit, and He will guide us into all truth. He will always point us to the Master, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You know, that's why that Jesus is seen on the outside of the Laodicean church knocking to get in. Why? Because they weren't serving Him. They were serving money. They were serving their own selves and their own, laying up their own treasures. So you can't, and that's why he says in Matthew 6, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. We say, well, I'm not serving money. But if money becomes a, something that you have to acquire to get the things that that money can buy, that then you're serving those things. In a sense, you're serving the money, right? I got to have the money to get what I need. It just, I cringe when I hear mostly television preachers just, just, Bring it all down to where it, it's all about the money that they got to have to continue their kingdom that they, gotta, that they built and they got to maintain it. And, and then, you know, so I got to promise you that you get a bunch of money if you'll give to this, to end our kingdom. It's like, what? Wait a minute. Let's lay up treasure in heaven. And that does involve our giving. But that involves bringing it into the, here, into the, into the ministry, into the storehouse, if you will, into this, the house of God that the ministry can go forth. That's part of it. Sometimes we not, might not like that, but Jesus knows that, that if, we, if we trust him with our finances, that we'll trust him with anything. Isn't that right? The other thing, that's why it's hard to, to maybe understand the concept, but God, then he blesses back when we do that. He does bless in, in the, the natural realm. Praise God. You know, I jotted down some things here that why he paralleled this and why, why Jesus there in Matthew 6 was talking about that you can't serve two masters, you can't serve God and money, and, and why that these treasures, you know, it's, it's hard to see. We can see this earthly treasure, but we can't necessarily see the treasure in heaven. You know, giving is emptying your present to fill up your future. And that's the same way in the natural realm. When I give something, when I purchase something, I give of my present to fill up my future, right? I go buy groceries. And so those groceries, you know, I'm going to give of what I have presently to put it in my pantry for the tomorrow and for all week so I have something to eat, right? So there we go. It's, it's laying it up for the future. The same way in giving. 
when I give into the kingdom of God for the kingdom. It's giving of the present to lay up for the future. So there's a little statement that says, the gift that leaves your hand never leaves your life. It enters your future where it multiplies and redeems treasure, eternal or temporal. It never leaves your life. It just goes and it produces something either in the temporal or in the, or in the heavenly realm. When it's given for the kingdom of God, it redeems eternal treasure in heaven. When it's given for your kingdom or for here, it, it brings about temporal treasure, treasure here on earth. So it's all about faith, and it's all about our living, and it's all about saying, you know, recognizing that he's the king. It, we're under his, his jurisdiction, not our jurisdiction. It's not my rights. It's not my will. It's his will. It's not my kingdom. It's his kingdom. White clothes talk about, it's where, it's that godly living, it's making those right choices, it's about godly choices, and the, you know, the, the decision that you decide, uh, that you use to make your, I mean, the choices that you use and, and that you decide with, they affect your future. You are accountable for all those things. It's going to produce something in your future. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 22, Jesus has this discussion about the eye, and he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your, eye, if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? If that light, your eye that's in you, your conscious, your, your per perception, if that's dark, if it's darkened, how great is that darkness? Because it's going to bring you over to there for, and keep you blinded. That's why we need to have the Spirit of God. We need light, and that's, that's him. He's the light of the world. He said, uh, if you follow after him, we'll never walk in darkness. Follow his word. What does his word say? Do his word. You know, so the question comes down, I guess, that we need to inventory ourselves. We need to check ourselves. We need to, as I say, a checkup from the neck up. We need to find out where are we in this thing. Are we falling into Laodiceaism? Are we falling into that attitude and that particular way of thinking? Are we constantly worrying about things or worrying about having enough money to get the things or maintain the things that we have? Or, or are we trusting, trusting in him, trusting in his kingdom, more concerned about his kingdom? In Revelation 17, that first part where he says, Jesus says again, he says, you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. They had no treasure in heaven. People, you don't want to get, you don't want to get to heaven and have nothing there and be just, you know, you see this great innumerable company, they're on a sea of glass and all they have are these palm branches standing out there saying salvation belongs to the Lord our God. That's all they could sing was a song of salvation because that's all they had. They had salvation, and that's great. But for all eternity, rather than ruling and reigning with him, they're in that position of just, of really they have they've wasted it all and wasted all of this life. This life is about being used by him and allowing the purpose and destiny that he's, that he's designed us for to come about through us. And the degree that we rule and reign with him right now is going to determine the degree that we're going to rule and reign with him for all eternity. 
was talking to somebody the other day and they said, oh, I don't believe we're ever going to die. I think that the, the flesh and the blood, I think we rejuvenate ourselves and we're just going to live forever. And I go, well, you can have it, man. <laughs> I don't want to live forever <laughs> in this body. Now, I will live forever, but it's going to be a changed body, a glorified body. Amen? Amen? Really? You want this? Seriously? Oh, man, I can't, I can't wait. He said, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Hallelujah. Man, there's nothing here that I want to hang around for. Trying to lay up treasure here. Why? You know, they don't put in coffins, they don't put extra stuff in there, I don't think, you know, to pack stuff in. This one guy, he, he was real wealthy, he had a whole lot of money. And so... He got his doctor, his lawyer, and his uh, pastor, and he split up and gave them all 330,000 something piece, split up a million dollars between all three of them. So that would be what, 333,333, whatever it is, and all that stuff. So he gave them all that, and he says, now, here's what I want you to do. At my funeral, he says, when you come by the casket, he said, I want y'all to drop that in. He says, because I really think I got this thing figured out, and I think I can take it with me. Well, so pastor finished the sermon for the funeral message, and he went by, and he kind of, you know, politely and without a lot of recognition, tucked in the envelope and put that $333,000 in there. And next, the doctor came by and paid his respects, and he put the envelope in there, and people were coming by. And so the lawyer came by. Well, later on, they were talking. and said, man, did... Uh, did did you give him that money? He said, no, I put, the, I put the, the offering envelope in there, but I didn't put that money in there. He can't take that with him. The pastor said, he says, no, I gave that, he says, the, for the food pantry and for ministry so that, that there can be some ministries. He said, I gave it in his name and an endowment so that it can go on and that uh, it'll help some people here. He's not taking it with him. And so he said, well, asked the, the doctor, did you, get, did you put that, the envelope, did you put 300 $30,000 in, in your offering? He said, no, man. He said, I gave that to the hospital so they could do some research and some cancer research. I gave it in his name so that it'd be, you know, such and such. You can't take it with you. They looked at the lawyer and says, did you give it to him? He said, of course I did. I wrote him a personal check. <laughs> you ain't taking it with you. And this treasure that's here on earth... It's going to stay here, and that's why he said that you're pitiful. That was pretty pitiful. Poor, blind, and naked. So how can we safeguard against some of these things? It's good when you get it. I'll wait to see if anybody else wants to get that joke. So Jesus pulls this down, and he says in verse 19, he says, Those whom I love, I rebuke and, and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. You know, it's sad that Jesus has been pushed out. He's been pushed out of lives, in a sense. Yeah, Jesus, you know, they want, we want him kind of close by, you know, if we need him. But, you know, if I need you, I'll let you know. But just kind of hang out there. And sad to say that there's a lot of churches that have kind of pushed him out of the way, you know, and just, well, if we need you, you know, but we got this and, and, and we can handle it. And Jesus is on the outside knocking. He says, let me come in. Have fellowship with you. He says, he that hath an ear, let him hear. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Hear his voice. He's saying, don't end up by spending all your time thinking you've accumulated, that you're rich, that you've accumulated wealth, that you don't need anything, and you've got your eyes so focused on that. Don't let this worldview consume you. See him. You know, you need to build generosity into your budget. I don't know if I've ever said that or not, but you need, when you sit down with your budget, you need to build generosity in with that. Starting, start budgeting out for giving. Say, so, well, I can't afford it. Well, you know, as they say, you can't afford not to. What are, where are we going to get to this heavenly treasure? Somewhere or another, start giving consistently, whatever it is. Paul said on the, uh, on the first day of the week, he says, lay aside. He said, according to your own, let each man lay aside according to their own income. Set aside something. You need to have a little talk with Jesus and say, Lord, help me here. Maybe you got yourself into a mess, into a heap of trouble. You need to ask him to give you some wisdom on how to get out of that and what to do. And, but you've got to start disciplining yourself to do something. Do something. If you don't do anything, then you're never building anything up, right? You know? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I ask that you just speak to us today and help us to do a little checkup in our own self that we might see where we are. Are we following down this road to uh, that the Laodiceans are down? Are we feeling that we kind of got this thing? That we've got things lined out and our life's just kind of going the way that it, it goes and our time is our time and our talent is our talent. Our treasure is our treasure. Lord, we, we need to bring our time to you and give of our time to you. Father, thank you for those that have invested a couple hours on Sunday morning to come out and invest that two hours into your kingdom. I know that there's a reward for that. There's treasure that's laid up for that. But Father, there's more than that. There's the midweek service, but there's more than that. There's times of outreach. There's times of serving you and using our time for you. Father, there's so many needs. Just here at Light Christian Center, areas of ministry that are desperate for volunteers and for workers and needing people to step up. People have, there are people here with certain talents that could step right in and even create ministries. Father, like a complete open harvest field that's social media. Father, I would pray that you'd speak to hearts today and make them aware that there's an opportunity to evangelize the world through social media.
And that's a way that they can invest their time and talent and lay up treasure in heaven. Father, there's people that could drive a bus, not take a lot of effort out of other times of their week or whatever, but just to drive a, a bus and bring in kids that will hear the gospel. They're not hearing it at home. They, there's a generation of kids that are raised, their parents were not churched and, and their parents weren't churched in church. Father, we need to reach them. What rewards are, are laying there for those that would step up to do that? Nursery workers. Lord, you said, let the little one, let the little children come to me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. I, I pray that you'd speak to people's hearts today and let them realize that you can lay up treasure in heaven by working in the nursery. We need a Wednesday night nursery, Father, for the kids, the, the babies, the children. Lord, I know that there's a blessing there. Father, we got rural rangers that are going on that started on Sunday nights. They're just growing, and these young men are developing into men of God, and they need a couple of guys so they can start another, another, another class. Lord, I don't want to be the one that has to tell them that we can't do that right now because we don't have two men to step up. Father, if we can see that, if we can put the priorities on it that you put on it, if that's laying up treasure in heaven, where we might spend our time or our talent, our money someplace else over here for something that we do, Lord, that's just going to be, it'll be done. It'll be finished right then. And really, in a sense, we're just pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. we could use some more ushers there's just all kinds of areas that, that to serve Lord even areas that haven't even been started yet we need hosts and hostesses on the times of our services to help people get in and out of the church and to welcome all the people especially new people that come in to help them find out where the nurseries are where the children's church is where the restrooms are various things Father there's so many things to do in your house that we could do if it was important to us. But we know it's important to you, and if it's important to you, it ought to be important to us. Father, help us to be able to change our thinking so that we know that in doing this, that there is going to be a time of rejoicing in that because it's laying up treasure in heaven. Father, we need eye salve. We need salve on our eyes. Holy Spirit, move through this place today that we might see what's really important. We might see the way you see. Father, the, this, this church, this body of believers, really in a sense we are, we are an army of believers. There's a real warfare out there. We have a real enemy. It's challenging. It costs to do what we do. Father, that you would just speak to people just to be obedient, just to do what they can do. 
doesn't have to be a lot, but when everybody does something, it helps. But Lord, even on creative things, there's some people that are creative in, in being able just to take stuff and turn it around and make something off of that. They can have garage sales and put that money into certain ministry needs here in the church, certain departments. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Is there something in your life that you could change? Is there something you could do different? And start investing in the kingdom of God. If there is, and I know there is, I know every one of us in here could do one thing that would make a difference in the kingdom of God. I challenge you today, let's do it, people. Let's do it. I, I don't want to fall into the, the crowd of the Laodicean mindset. I think God's looking for a group of people that will step up and trust him. You know, that series that I just preached that we just came out of three weeks of preaching about the art to receiving. God's about to release something and we need to be in a position to receive it so we can do what he's, be about what he's about to do. We can be in what he's about to do. I don't know if that's making sense or not. But see, if we're, if we're all concerned about ourselves and, and we don't have enough time, if we want to be spectators rather than participators, then we're not going to receive what's the real thing that's coming. No, we might get a thrill out of it by being a spectator, but people, I want to tell you something, there's nothing like being a participator in it. I kind of like to watch basketball, but when I played basketball, I loved basketball. And I could watch it, but it wasn't near as much fun as playing it. And I can, we can watch God move, and that's, that's good, and we can get excited about seeing somebody else get blessed, but I'm going to tell you something, when you get blessed, uh, you, don't have to, you don't have to watch. You're participating in it. So that's why we need to be in that position. We need to be doing what he's doing. We need to be consistent with our time and our talent and our treasures. You know, when he gets ready to release all these different areas, abilities and various things and, and finances, I think he's going to release some finances, but he's not going to release it to those that aren't faithful with what they got now. That's just, that, would be, that wouldn't be right according to his word. He said, if you're faithful over a few things, I'll make you rule over many things. So when a release comes, if, if we're not faithful right now to what we have, why would he give us anything more? I'm going to tell you, there's something coming. And we need to hear this. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. Well, Father, speak to us. But let us not just be hearers of the word. Let us be doers also. Lord, I, I pray that you would just brand this into our heart. That we can't get away from it. 
I know you want us to hear this. And I sense the urgency that you are expressing through this. If there was some way, Father, just to transfer that urgency to every person here, wow. But Lord, we stand before you to honor you. And we will be held accountable for the choices that we make because you do see it, our needs and you know our deeds. So, Father, there will be a day of revealing of whether we're faithful to do what you called us to do. I want us to stand this morning. If you're feeling a little nervous, you're feeling a little conviction, you're feeling like, oh boy, I'm not going to apologize. <laughs> I'd rather shake you up <laughs> and try to move you more to, to God than to try to comfort you and coddle you and then you being a big surprise when, he, when God has to correct. Just have an ear to hear what he's saying. Father, we thank you for being here today. Thank you that you meet with us. You're still welcome in this place. You don't have to stand on the outside knocking to get in. We want you right here in the middle. We want you in our midst. We want to hear your voice. We believe we've heard it today. Father, I believe I've been obedient to your word. Now, Father, I know your word won't return void. My expectation, Father, is great today for Light Christian Center being the church, the ministry that you've called us to be. We want to be a part of this harvest that's coming. And Father, we know that nothing's too difficult. Let your blessings rest upon every household, Father, every, on every individual that's here. Father, every, every father, every mother, every son, every daughter, Father, let it rest. Holy Spirit, move on us. Let us be about your business. Everywhere we go, let us be sensitive to the needs of people around us. Give us a ready answer. Give us eyes to see and discern needs around us. Father, we want to walk in righteousness, Father, and be used by you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap today. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, greet somebody, and if you see somebody you don't know, introduce yourself to them. Better get to know them. We're working together. Amen. God bless you.